Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today we bring on a good friend of Coop fan, Jamie Vinnick. Uh, Jamie, how are you doing? We're a couple days away from a game that whenever these two teams meet seems to always be crazy, hectic, wild, exciting. Uh, how are things up in Pullman right now? Well, if you asked me two weeks ago, my response would be different. <laughs> um, it has not <laughs> been a pleasant two weeks for Washington state. Uh, I think the scoreboard reflects that, uh, you know, a, a tough loss at UCLA where they, they played hard, um, just couldn't get the offense going against that UCLA front. And then just an absolute disaster against Arizona no really other way to, to put it. They're the biggest margin of defeat in Pullman since 2008 uh, when Pete Carroll was the USC head coach and they lost uh, 69 to nothing. So uh, it has not been a common place to lose that badly in Pullman. Um, but yeah, so the, again, vibes after four weeks where, you know, hey, dark horse for a Pac-12 title, you know, your speed Oregon State, like there's some things are going on. Now it's like, uh, what happened? So I think everyone's just kind of looking for that answer, but um you know, still in a, in a good spot to make a bowl game, but I think maybe the the ceiling and the aspirations aren't what they once were for uh, for the program for this season. Um, real quick before we dive into football this season, um, the league's going away, obviously, uh, after this season. Um, how has Pullman? How has Eastern Washington? How has the Washington state fan base across the country kind of rallied around this program. And is it as strong now as it was week one when the Cougars went out to play the first game? You know, I think after that, after that Oregon state game in particular, it was, it was loud. And I think the rallying cry was, you know, Wazoo's four and they're number 13 in the country. You know, look, you look at some of the teams in, in the Big 12 right now or some of the teams who got invites to the ACC, looking at you, Stanford and Cal, and it's like, why the heck is, if it's going on merit, this is what Dickert said all along, if it's going on merit, Wazoo deserves to be in there. And obviously there's a lot more to it, location, finances, and so on. Um, you know, <laughs> I think the last two weeks have been like, oh, okay, we're going to quiet down on that uh, 
that front, at least from the fan base, that maybe the, you know, the, the screaming about the merit, I think there still is. I think Washington State still has the merit to be in one of those conferences um, comparatively to some of the schools who, you know, are maintaining their status in the Big 12 or in the Big 10 or so on, but probably not as loud as <laughs> those first four weeks. We, we've kind of let the we've kind of let the beeves take over for that because they can still very much scream about that and you look at their their resume and their track record. So, you know, I think everyone is still rallying around it, but <laughs> it's funny, a lot of the, the rallying cry has been around the volleyball team who's number four in the country. And look at them, you know, they've beaten all the Big 12 schools so far that are all the teams in the Pac-12 that are going to the Big 12 and then beat Texas and beat Baylor and beat BYU. So there's still a rallying cry and I think it's still a lot of passion behind it. But I think, you know, the the fight uh, based off, hey, we're top 13 in the country that the fans were saying, that one has kind of quieted down a little bit just because there's obviously been a lot of disappointment with how the last two games have played out. I, I, what, what happened last weekend, Jamie? I'm, like, I, I'm kind of changing my question here. I'm just – because that feels so strange to me. I mean, that game was going on simultaneously with part of the Oregon-Washington game, and I, I wasn't totally – Surprised it was competitive. Uh, like Arizona was having a good showing. I just didn't expect it to be like that. Like what? What actually? Like how do you even reconcile that one? Uh, I blame the Oregon Washington game because right as the Oregon Washington game ended is when things started to go south. So it just killed the vibes. It was a uh, no, okay. um, kills. It I, honestly, it's one of those where you walked away, you know, as it was hard to find answers because everything went wrong and it wasn't just like, Oh, they got some bad luck. There were mistakes everywhere. The offense made a ton of mistakes. The defense made a ton of mistakes. They took three dumb personal foul penalties. Um, Dickert said to himself after the game, they got out coached and it just looked like, you know, some of the things they were doing early, it was, it made you think like, okay, it, it was like, why is Washington State playing Arizona like they're playing a top five team? You know, you play a t you play Oregon this week, for example, you know, you got to pull out all the stops, you know, you don't maybe have the talent matchup um, on, on paper, you got to do this, you got to do that. It's like, okay, this is Arizona, Arizona's good, don't get me wrong, they, they're a legitimately good team. But, you know, they're just two-point conversions and trick plays. And, you know, there's a time for the aggressiveness. And I think, you know, it's a double-edged sword because if that stuff works early, it's like, oh, genius. But I think that there is just so much – just everything they tried didn't work. Uh, the run game, it continues to be anemic. So I think that's hurt them. And then what teams have started to do – is they they deploy some of that rush three drop eight that teams used for years against Mike Leach, um, but it's also it, teams have shifted to to man coverage and they are telling the Washington State receivers to beat them one on one. It was a lot of zone early in the year, a lot of cover three type deals, and the middle of the field's wide open, and that's where Cam Ward was just dismantling teams. I mean, he threw for four hundred and four yards against a good Oregon State team and a good Oregon State defense because they ran, you know, a lot of zone and the man to man or the the receivers got themselves into the soft spots. They got open, they beat the safeties over the top and so on. And, and it was Arizona forced everything to the boundaries and then Ward just wasn't delivering his throws. He was off against UCLA, he was off against Arizona. Um the offensive line has really struggled the last 2 weeks and and I think the glaring issue has been they are incapable of running the ball, which is honestly different than the Leach era. Leach just wouldn't run the ball. They could do it if they wanted to. He just had no interest in it. Washington State wants to run the ball. They just can't. What's the mood around the program with Jake Dickert as a full-time head coach? I know it's his year two. He 
was also this is kind of like his third year because a couple years ago he got the interim job mid-season when Rolovich was let go. Um, I think there's from our assumption, Dan Lanning, Oregon's head coach, has high respect, high praise for Jake Dickert. Um, I don't know if that's just two defensive-minded guys, probably similar age. I think that plays a factor into it, but I also just think it's very genuine. Just what's this program's kind of support level with Dickert as head coach? And um, is this program still trending in the right direction? I know it's like very small window, narrow tunnel vision. Right now, two weeks, it's not been good. But are things still progressing in the right manner uh, under Jake Dickert? Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at even you take away the on-field results, I just think the culture around the program is so much different. I mean, one of the things I look at is when Rolovich got fired, the, the team GPA, for example, was well under a 3-0, and it got above that with Dickard. And, and that's obviously – that doesn't win you football games necessarily, but it's just – it's some of the little things. It's the culture around the team. You know, the guys are all very much a, a tight-knit family. It, before, it was offensive guys and it was defensive guys, and now it's just one team. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of optimism that he can get this thing fixed from the last two weeks. And I think there's still some understanding that, okay, it, first off, the Pac-12 is really good. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like they went and, and lost to, you know, completely terrible teams. I mean, UCLA's uh, was ranging is going to make a bowl. Arizona is, again, a lot better than what anyone anticipated. We saw what they did against USC and Washington. That wasn't a fluke. So I think there is some some optimism still that, okay, they can straighten this thing out and finish the season on a high note. Now, having Oregon this week is not ideal for Washington State in need of a in need of a win. It would be nice to have, you know, one of the the lesser teams in the conference. But I think what Kook fans are looking for this week is is just more of a complete performance. I, I think there's an understanding that Washington State could play its absolute best game and it still might not win this week against Oregon. And that's just a testament to Oregon. But I think it's going to be, you know, if Washington State loses this game 35-30, for example, I think there will be a lot of people who, I mean, again, the coaches won't care. The players won't care. The only thing that matters to them is winning. But I think fans and kind of people around the program will say, okay, you know, it's not what the result we wanted, but they played well. They showed some some grit. They showed some toughness. Whereas if this game is, you know, 53 to, to nothing or something, there's going to be – the noise is going to get louder about the frustrations and kind of the the questions of what is going on. Um, so I, I think in some ways, again, the players and the coaches would never say moral victories exist. And they wouldn't say it publicly, and I don't think they'd say it privately either. But this is one of those where if you can you can stay in this game, I think there's a lot that can be taken out of it. Um, you know, the, Dickert always talks about learns and, and lessons you can learn. And I think you lose close, there's lessons there. You lose by 40 points. There's not a lot you can take out of that. I mean, there's not a lot of good things you can take from last week's game against Arizona. There's stuff you can take from UCLA. When you lose by 38, there's probably not a whole lot you want to take from that game because it was all bad. It's a strange start to the season for Washington State. Started 4-0, ranked 13th, had wins over two ranked teams in Wisconsin and Oregon State. Impressive showings in both, like, kind of were complete control. I mean, Oregon State was kind of a blowout. I know the score looks a lot closer, but Washington State had that as a three-score game in the first half, I think. Mm -hmm. What was working? Like, we're kind of the doom and gloom now, because this is how college sports work when you lose a game. We're experiencing this as well with the Oregon's fan base right now. Kind of lose sight of some of the positives. What was working for Washington State? How did they get to that point where they were 4-0 and things were rolling? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, it comes down to the efficiency of the offense. Um, they still weren't running the ball that well, but, you know, Ward was just picking apart defenses. The receivers were getting open. I think there's there's been a couple injuries that have hurt him, not to a degree where it should have been as bad as it's been to two touchdowns in two weeks. But, you know, he was throwing his receivers open. The wideouts were making plays. That hasn't happened the last two weeks. Uh, you know, the last two games, Kyle Williams, I think, has uh, something over 160 yards in those two games. And then the next guy is Josh Kelly with 49 yards. And this past week, no one besides uh, Williams eclipsed 20. They've missed Lincoln Victor. He did return this past week in a limited capacity. Kelly's been banged up. So I think there's been some injuries there. And then teams have just started to adapt. Teams got the blueprint of, hey, these guys can't really run the ball right now. Let's just force them to pass. And that's what's happening. And they are daring Washington State to run on them. I mean, even – you know, it hasn't been as much a uh, rush three drop eight as I think a lot of people, and myself included, originally thought. I was actually talking to uh, to Alex Brink, the, the Cougs colored commentator, last night and was asking about that. And he said, you know, watch if you watch the tape, it's a lot more four or five-man rushes. The issue is, is that when it is three-man, first off, those three guys are getting home way too often, and Wazoo can't counter with a run game. So I, I think teams are just pinning their ears back, dropping everyone into coverage, and saying, we dare you to run on us. And it's working because the run blocking for Washington State has not been good. And the run game in particular hasn't been good. So I think it's, you know, Dickert said on uh, on Monday, you know, the 4-0 team is still in there. They didn't suddenly lose a bunch of guys for the season. No one, no one from that 4-0 team of, of, much, uh, of much stature transferred. But, you know, they have to get back to what was working. And I think a lot of it is you have to adapt – to what teams have been starting to throw at you defensively. And I don't think they've done a great job doing that. And then I think the execution's been poor. I mean, Cam Ward, through his first uh, four games, had uh, 13 touchdowns, no turnovers, or no picks, three fumbles. His last two games, uh, three interceptions, a fumble, one passing touchdown, seven total turnovers in the last two games. I mean, they, they turned it over four times against UCLA. You turn it over three, you probably win the game. You turn it over two, you definitely win the game. So I think the turnovers have really started to rear their ugly head. Uh, they fumbled deep into UCLA territory. Uh, when it's a chance to go up, I think it would have been 17-0 at the time. Uh, Cam Johnson, their four-string tight end, gets stripped by who else but Layatu Latu. Makes just an unbelievable play. UCLA recovers at the 10. Momentum shifts. Even that Oregon State game, Wazoo had a chance to really put it away early. Jalen Jenkins fumbles in Oregon State territory. They take the ball down, score, and kind of shift the momentum. So – the turnover, it's not just been turnovers. It's turnovers at really costly moments when they're driving, when they have all the momentum, and it just completely, completely flips the entire, you know, the entire course of the game. Maybe not the best time to ask this question because of the turnovers and whatnot, but Ben Arbuckle, OC for Washington State, young up-and-coming coach, has had a lot of praise preseason and then the first four or five weeks of the year, a lot of people are talking about him too as just uh, a savant for his age. Just what's been his impact of this offense and just what makes him so highly regarded from those in the media and those in the college football ranks? He's very creative. Um, you know, I think the frustration a lot of people had last year with Washington State's offense under Eric Morris was there wasn't a lot of creativity. There wasn't a lot of pre-snap motion. It was snap, throw a bubble screen, lose two yards, do it twice more, and then punt. Now it's there's there's motion. Guys are moving around. There's a little more trickery. Wazoo uses their backup quarterback, John Mateer, kind of like I liken it to the way Florida used to use Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Cam Ward is Leak. Mateer is Tebow, obviously, to a lesser degree. I mean, I don't think – there's not many guys you can compare to Tebow in that era, but 
They use Matir as a passer, as a runner. They've used him as a receiver. So they get him involved in a lot of ways, and it's really worked most of the year until Saturday when he throws a pick in a triple coverage on a trick play. But that that's one of those where it's an execution issue. It's not a play call issue because they've ran similar plays and it's worked. I think he does a good job of getting, you know, the receivers into space and and designing routes that have done that. You know, the, the blueprint I look at offensively is you look at what Washington does with, with Penix and everything is out like that. It's a nine yard out. It's a 10 yard out. It's a 12 yard out. Does it help to have receivers that good? Of course. But I, I think he's, there's something a little more of that in this offense than last year where it was just throw a bubble screen and pray someone gets open. He's more willing to stretch the field vertically. Um, you know, he, he there's still screens involved, but there's a little more creativity. You know, he has formations where there's four guys lined up on one side and everyone knows you're going to do that. And then he throws to the other side where it's a one-on-one matchup, trust your receiver to make a play. So his creativity and, uh, and kind of his, the way he gets the guys into different positions to help them make plays has been really good. And I don't know how much it's really changed the last two weeks. I think there's a couple things you could look at where, okay, that wasn't the best idea. The couple situations where they ran the ball, where they had no business running the ball. Uh, or a couple times where, you know, there are bubble screens on third and 12 that you know aren't going to work. But um, I, I think the bigger issue in the last two weeks has just been he's calling a lot of the same stuff. The defenses have adjusted to it. Now he needs to kind of adjust further to what they're doing, and then the players have to execute their jobs. Stop turning the ball over, make the throws, block you guys, catch the ball, and so on. You mentioned kind of a bit of a dinged-up team recently, especially at receiver with Victor and with Kelly. Um, what's any status update with those two? Any other injuries that Oregon fans will probably want to be aware of going into this one? Yeah, so Victor and Kelly both played on, on Saturday, and I would presume that they'll play again this week. I don't think there's going to be any change in that. Um uh, Victor was not expected to play Saturday and got himself healthy enough to do so. And Kelly, uh, again, neither were that effective, but I don't think they were re-injured to a point where it's going to affect this week. Uh, the big one they're kind of uh, waiting on it is Cooper Mathers. They're starting tight end. And, you know, he's a guy that you look at the numbers, and I think it's six catches, 105 yards this year. Doesn't jump out of you, but he does a lot of things really well. He's a good safety net for Ward underneath. He's a good blocker. A lot of their success on run plays have come when they run off tackle and between the tackle and the tight end, and they haven't had him there to do that. And, you know, the other tight ends on the roster are serviceable, but he's a little bit more dynamic in that sense. Um, other than that, they've stayed – they've gotten pretty healthy. They had a lot of early injuries that they've kind of uh, recovered from. Quinn Roth, uh, their edge, was out a couple of weeks. He's back, uh, their third-string edge. Um, you know, they've got a couple guys out for the year. Rashad McKenzie, uh, a very highly regarded defensive tackle, had a bunch of uh, – actually had a bunch of big-time offers a couple of years ago. Had some uh, academic issues, ended up signing with Wazoo late. He's out for the season. Uh, Lawrence Falatea, depth edge, also out for the season with uh, with a torn ACL. But other than that, the, uh, you know, Dicker didn't really have much to say with on the injuries on Monday. He he usually plays the card of uh, you know his his meeting with his uh, with the trainers is Monday after the presser. So we usually ask him again Wednesday. It's it's not quite landing level. I know he doesn't uh, even get close to talking about injuries. And then they've got a couple other depth pieces banged up, but. I wouldn't say anyone really, really notable uh, besides Mathers, although you never know, because we didn't know about Mathers until the UCLA game happened. He got hurt in the bye week. So there could always be someone who gets hurt in practice and something like that. But Mathers is the main one to watch right now. I think the offense unlocks a lot of levels if he is back. Uh, defensively, Ron Stone Jr., Brent Jackson, collectively 12 years being Cougars. Um, they've been here a long time. Two elite dudes off the edge as well. Um, I think 
They're in the top like five PFF or edge defenders in the league this season. Um, beyond those two, uh, who on defense will the Cougars be leaning on in this game that you know Duck fans maybe should keep an eye out for? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the couple that jumped to mind are in the secondary. Shaw Smith-Wade, who is actually coming off one of his worst games in a while in terms of tackling. He missed four tackles, which is very uncharacteristic, but he's one of the better cover corners in, in the conference. He's going to draw Troy Franklin this week. Um, they they will make sure that is that is the case, so he'll get Franklin. He's taken on some good receivers this year. Um, I don't think anyone to Franklin's level. I mean, uh, Tetroy McMillan's a little bit of a different matchup just because of the size, and even then he had a good game, but he didn't you know go for 250 yards or anything. Um, so Smith Wade's definitely one to watch. On the back end, Jaden Hicks had an absolutely monstrous first three weeks. Hasn't been as crisp lately, uh, but he's I mean he's a, he's a playmaker at strong safety. He's the guy that you know he had a pick six in the first week and he gets sacks and he blocked a field goal against UCLA. So he does a little bit of everything. Uh, and Nickel Kapenagushkin has come on really strong lately. He had a pick six against UCLA, kind of turned that game on its head at the time. Um, but th- those are probably the five to know. They don't have that playmaker at linebacker like they did last year with Deion Henley. Uh, Kyle Thornton and Devin Richardson have been the two starters. The best playmaker of that group is probably uh, Tariq Al-Ukta. He's a second-year guy, redshirt freshman, who's started to play more and more, probably the quickest and most, most athletic of the linebackers, but still very inexperienced, You know, makes some, some rookie mistakes sometimes. Um, but those are going to be the guys, those five guys I mentioned, those are kind of their big play guys. And then they've got some talent in the middle. David Goose at defensive tackle does a nice job. Uh, Naeem Rodman, a Colorado transfer, Nusi Milani, a Virginia transfer. But, you know, th- those are just kind of more reliable pieces than they are absolute X-factor playmakers. Talk about the run game being kind of the bugaboo on offense. Statistically, and then from an outside looking in, is 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 it safe to say that the run defense has kind of had some issues as well this year? I know at least against Oregon State, they ran for a lot of yards. There's a couple other times where teams have been over 150, 160. What's kind of, is that is that fair to say, or kind of how would you assess this defense and, and where it's maybe exploitable? The run defense is tricky um, because uh, you know statistically, I, I don't think it tells the whole story. Um, they gave up a ton of yards on the ground to Northern Colorado uh, in the third and fourth quarter when it was their you know eighth stringers in because they were up by a hundred at halftime. So Northern Colorado's starting running back ran for I think 116 yards, but it's against guys who aren't going to be playing in this game, and we're basically in because hey, we're up. 45 points, you know, the coaching staff saying we don't need to keep our guys in uh, and get them hurt. The Oregon State one was interesting because they actually did a decent enough enough job with Damian Martinez, and it was Fenwick who actually gashed him for a couple big gains. Uh, but like Carson Steele for UCLA, he rushed for 140 yards, but I think it came on 30 carries. So he, he racked up yards, but it wasn't like, you know, it was insanely efficient. This last week was probably the worst their run defense has been. Um, they had they could not bring down Jonah Coleman. They could not bring down uh, DJ Williams or Rayshon Luke. Uh, they were completely out of their run fits. They missed tackles. Um, but, I, you know, you look at the Wisconsin game, and they, they took away Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi, who had just gone for over 300 yards the week prior. And you know, a, one of the better running back duos in, in the conference in the country. So they have the capabilities. It's kind of like last year. They had games where they shut down running attacks, and then games where they got absolutely gashed. And uh, you know, I I remember correctly. I think Morgan ran very well against them. Uh, Martinez had a big game against them last year. So at times they've looked great against the run, and I think it's kind of been the same this year. You know, with kind of the disclaimer that the stats do leave some of the context out in the sense that. There was a lot of yards in that Northern Colorado game that were against, you know, 
the seventh and eighth stringers. Steele ran for a lot of yards because they ran him 30 times, not because he was busting off, you know, 40 yard carries. Um, but, you know, they've struggled to bring down the, the bigger, stronger, tougher backs like Jonah Coleman, like Carson Steele, like Bucky Irving this week. Uh, my last question is just kind of a matchup storyline. What are you, you know, curious to see play out? Whether that's, uh, hey, I think Washington State's going to be really strong here. This is how they're going to win the game if this happens, or quite opposite. I mean, maybe it's, boy, I hope this guy can can maintain his play because if he can't, Oregon's, you know, going to have some success here. What, what's just a matchup or a storyline you're 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 watching to play out on Saturday? You know, I think the big storyline for Washington State is, is the offense, and, and like I said, I, I don't know if. You know, I don't think it's a pass-fail type of deal. Either uh, if if Washington State loses, the offense failed, whereas if they win, it passed. I mean, I think if the Cougars show some offensive uh, resurgence, even in a loss, it's something you can take as a positive into the rest of the season because, you know, realistically, the way Washington State's schedule plays out, you're only playing one more team on the level of Oregon, and that's Washington. You miss USC, you miss Utah, you already played OSU. You know, your next few games between Oregon and the Apple Cup or ASU, Stanford, Cal, and Colorado. Hypothetically, should be a lighter schedule. You get two of those on the road, two of those at home. So I think Washington State, the big storyline is, can the Cougars get something going offensively against a good duck defense, against a good front seven, against a very good uh, secondary You know, with, with Kyrie Jackson at the forefront? So I think it's a matter of, if that can happen, it can inject a little bit of confidence. I, I think the only way that Washington State pulls off this upset is, they get some confidence early. The offense goes down and gets a couple touchdowns and maybe starts to gain some of that swagger back that we saw the first four weeks. Because if they come out and Oregon shuts them down in the first two, three drives, this could, I could honestly see this snowballing into a very, very bad place. That's kind of where I wanted to go next. This is how we usually end these. You've done a couple of them, so you're probably familiar. Just, I usually ask for three things that need to happen for the opposing team to win the game. So for Washington State, you kind of established a little bit of it there, but maybe add a couple more things along with the offense getting off to a good start. Yeah, I think it's maintaining, maintaining a good start. You know, if you do, if you score a couple of touchdowns on the scripted drives, that's great. Can you score when the drives aren't scripted? Can you adjust if Oregon starts changing its defense to what Washington State is doing? You know, that to me is is a huge key. I think defensively they, they've got to put pressure on Bo Nix, which is certainly easier said than done. Um, they've got to be able to, I mean, again, you're not going to, Stop Bucky Irving. He's too good for that, but limit him. Contain him a little bit. You know, get Oregon into situations where, you know, maybe there's a, they're in third and long and you force them into difficult situations. If Washington State wants to pull the upset, they the key is execution. They have to execute on every level from offense to defense to special teams. Uh, they can't turn the ball over. They've got to get some turnovers. They've got to get to Knicks. It's basically, I mean, it's, it's basically they got to do the generic things to win the game. They just have to do them really, really well. Well, oh, did you ask Jamie, me a score prediction too? Well, I mean, if you want to give us one, you're you're more than welcome. We don't ask for that. Uh, that's extra credit on your part if you want to give the extra credit. Well, I'll just go with what I, I listed in my early glimpse. Uh, we do our early glimpse every week, and I give a score prediction. And this is actually the first week this season I'm not picking Washington State to win. I had them winning um, when I did my first picks before the season. I had them uh, with two losses entering this game, Oregon state and UCLA. So got that part, right? Just yeah. the teams. Um, and then as the games got closer, I picked them to beat UCLA. I picked them to beat Oregon state. I picked them to beat Arizona. Um, I just, I think Washington state needs to get right game. I don't think this is it. Um, I, I, so I actually, I put Oregon 44, 21. I think it's a, it's a mad ducks team. 
um, that is obviously frustrated over what happened last week, as much as Kook fans are frustrated over what happened last week, yeah. both in their game and in the Washington-Oregon game, I might add. Um, and uh, I, I just I think, you know, Washington State will try and get some momentum going, but this is not the game where suddenly every you're going to be able to turn everything around. I think you're probably looking at the Arizona State game for that. Well, Jamie, uh, appreciate your time coming on the show. Hopefully we see you in the press box Saturday at Austin Stadium. Uh, and uh, hopefully we get treated to a much more entertaining game for both sides than what you're predicting. Because uh, it's always good when these two teams beat and these teams always seem to play close. So thanks that for all the show. We, we look, look forward to talking to you down the road. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Jamie. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!